Hey friends of DeSoto, just a warning that the episode we're reviewing today has some sort of sexual assault adjacent themes to it, and we just wanted to give you a heads up so that if that is a touchy subject for you, you can make an informed decision about whether or not to listen. If you are in a tough place in relation to sexual abuse or assault, you can call 800-656-HOPE, that's 800 656 Four six seven three to be connected anonymously with a trained counselor at Rain's Sexual Assault Hotline. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I did a bit on you just now. <laughs> I'm Adam Franica. I'm Ben Harrison. I enjoyed the bit. <laughs> We're in the same room, <laughs> and I silently counted us down. Yeah, we usually have to count off and clap for sync at the beginning of these things. Today, we just counted off for us. Yeah. Oh, I should turn off the AC. Or should I leave it on? Turn I, it. I mean... Wendy will appreciate it if I turn it off, right? It's important that we do right by Wendy. I don't want to do Wendy bad. No. No. We've got a fan in here. We don't need we don't need to also burn a hole in the ozone, right? We do not need to give her any reason to leave us. <laughs> Best behavior from now on, Ben. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Wendy. With our luck, she doesn't even get this edit. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> We're in person today. Yeah. A relative rarity, a special treat. Yeah. It's it's really nice to be in the same place doing this together. It's fun. It's how we used to do it. We always uh, get a little resistant to it when the idea comes up. Like, ah, it's so inconvenient. What if it's boring or bad? It is about an hour long drive. It's brutal. It is no fucking joke. I've been meaning to express my appreciation for you coming. You've been, you've been out here the last couple of days. You're coming again tomorrow. Yeah. I think you're coming again next week. Yeah. Yeah. Really uh really winding up the old odometer on my account. It gives me time to QA the episodes in the car. That's nice. That's how I like to do it. I I turn it up, turn up the bass. Mhm. You put it in a self-driving mode and uh write little notes in the in the Dropbox. Sure do. Hey, this this edit is fucked. I was next to a semi truck on my way out here that had you know how there's like the semi truck cab part where the driver and the passenger sits and then there's like the back area yeah the rv part well on the outside of that area there's often like a little flap door that you can stick tools and whatnot in Mm -hmm. and i know this because i was next to a semi-truck and the tools were just spilling out of this side door Oh no. It was so I mean we everyone was going slow because LA. <laughs> but if we were at highway speed and the tools were flying out, that would have been Fucking a real situation through the front of your windshield. Yeah, but as it was, the the toolbox just fell basically straight down onto the ground. Wow. Where it's totally safe to have a bunch of tools. You still don't want that, but damn. Yeah. <laughs> Did you call emergency services or contemplate calling emergency services on a thing like that i think the driver knew what had happened and was trying to make moves to like pull over yeah but that's the thing when you drop something on a i notice this all the time when you drop a mattress on a freeway and you're a half a mile up the freeway 
Yeah. What do you even do? I don't know. I don't know. There have been at least three or four times where my wife and I have been driving on the 110 freeway here in Los Angeles, one of the original freeways yeah. in the country. You can tell because the on-ramps for this 55-mile-an-hour road are often three or four feet long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really pays to have a uh, an engine that gives you a lot of torque on this particular freeway. But it's also a freeway that goes like from downtown LA to Pasadena through some parts of town that are very industrial and urban and some parts of town that are like parkland. Mm -hmm. And on the kind of borders of those two things, we have seen a freeway where you can both pick oranges and sell oranges. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have seen several times now, like going through the tunnel from downtown to our side of town, just like a brush fire on the side of the hill or something, you know, like a, a billow of black smoke that is coming up from something that you can't see that you're like, fuck, there is something serious going on. And we call 911 every time. And every time they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> they know they always know they are, they, like everybody reports it immediately and pretty soon i'm just gonna be like we don't need to call this in like they know yeah it's gonna be a, a boy who cried wolf issue you know a new la pope is coming when <laughs> when you see the dark smoke from a brush fire near a freeway mm, yeah a new uh psycho has tried to burn down an encampment of unhoused people Jeez, is that what's going on? That has happened. The, um, I think it's the son of the, the I, I'm probably wrong about this. Don't take this for a gospel, but like. Just say allegedly a bunch of times. Allegedly the son of the Eagle Rock Business Owners Association. What's that called? Business Development District or the. the I don't live on the east side. How would I know? Whatever the thing is that like tries to advocate for business friendly policies sure that guy's son like firebombed a an encampment of unhoused people so not a not a fail son but a fire son yeah is what he's got <laughs> pretty awful and it's donald sutherland what the fuck <laughs> yeah low-key like donald sutherland had so little to do in backdraft i think that is one of the great examples of having exactly 90 seconds in a movie to be evil and being like a shivery kind of evil that I still think about from time to time. <laughs> Holy shit, that character. Burn it all. <laughs> I've seen Backdraft one time. What? I saw it like on DVD in college. And I cannot believe this. We need to do a show on Backdraft in the, in the bonus. In the bonus I'm feed. super down. I remember really liking it, but because... I saw it late in life. My primary association with Backdraft is when I was like seven or eight, I took a make a video course at a summer camp, <laughs> like an art summer camp that I went to oh for years God. and years. And some other kids in the course made Backdraft 2 colon backwash. And it was a disaster movie about everybody was backwashing into water bottles and sodas everywhere. 
<laughs> that sounds like such a do not destroy SNL video <laughs> sketch concept. I I think about backwash all the time. It's so funny to me. Like one of the effects shots that they wanted to get was like looking down into the bottle of mm-hmm. something and seeing like green backwash in the bottle and the way they achieved this was pouring Mountain Dew into a toilet and flushing it and capturing that on camera and these kids were like one year older than me but like they're still funny like those kids at age eight and nine funnier than I am now yeah very true like I think about how many like little strokes of comedic genius they had in backdraft two colon backwash do you remember their names no I seethe with jealousy I wish I could track them down maybe they're listening now if if you're listening now write in I'll quit the podcast and you can take my place (laughs) that's it yeah wow (laughs) that really puts me in the awkward position of tamping down my enthusiasm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when thinking of your replacement. Yeah, yeah. Damn. It's going to be fun. You're going to love them. Yeah. They're, they're hilarious. Wow. I don't have an idea as good as Backwash. <laughs> I do believe that the original Backdraft is better than whatever that was, though. Yeah, I mean, the sequel is inevitably a little bit worse than the original. One of my favorite moments of modern era greatest gen is... I made a reference to a sound effect from Backdraft and Wendy knew exactly what I was talking about and put it in an episode of Greatest Trek. Wendy is so good at that. Yeah. She knows she gets all the references. Yeah. That should have been part of our I don't even get all the references. Yeah. And it never was. Yeah, like if we were more like a modern tech giant where we like do like a extremely harrowing test process to onboard a potential new hire, we would have thrown like yeah. five previously unheard sound effects at someone and, and ask them to name them or something like if that. If we ever lose Wendy, we need to have her as a part of the hiring process. And that hiring process just needs to be Scantron, mm-hmm. multiple choice questions, mm-hmm. all reference-based. That's how you get great employees. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why tech companies are full of such wonderful people. Yeah. Cream of the crop. <laughs> hey, no offense if you work for a tech company. I'm, I'm yeah. specifically talking about yeah, that guy. you just offended 80% of our listenership. No, no, I'm specifically talking about that guy at Google that thought that the AI that they built was a real person. Yeah. <laughs> Very awkward moment at that meeting. Yeah, yeah. When they took off the AI's arm. <laughs> Pinocchio's strings have been cut. Yeah. Very few people at Google probably get that reference. (laughs) Or all of them do. I don't know. Yeah. I don't work in tech. I could never. No. We couldn't pass the tests. I could never work in an office building again. I'm ruined. We've been totally spoiled. But uh, not spoiled yet is this episode of Star Trek Voyager, Adam. Do you want to get into it? Yeah. An awful story of workplace... Malfeasance? I was going to say malfeasance, but that's not the right word. This is like workplace assault. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. This is a a very pre-Me Too story, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you're Borgs, it's We Too, isn't it? Whoa. (laughs) Uh, Hashtag We Too when you tweet about this episode. Yeah. Uh, It's season four, episode 17, Retrospect. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. 
low key one of the coolest cold open scenes that I've seen in a while. Yeah. Also, the tragic destruction of a bois. A target bois. Yeah. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. The target buoy is solid monotonium. Impressive. I'm glad you agree. A totally new type of bois for the show. I love the idea of a starship firing range. Like, this is a quality to Star Trek. Like, every time we go to a shipyard or go to a place where, like, the D is being refitted or, yeah. or repaired after attack <laughs> or a starbase or anything, like, the places where work gets done on ships I want to go to. Adam loves a maintenance-based storyline. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But, like, you know before they launch starships... They got to go out to the weapons range and make sure that the phasers and the photons are are aimed properly. True. Give me an entire three-episode arc about what happens <laughs> out there. I would love that. So these uh, weapons that they're testing are being provided by Mr. Coven, who is an Antharan weapons dealer. And he doesn't seem to be quite so sinister as Tau, that weapons dealer that... Uh, that stole Leonardo da Vinci a few episodes back. Yeah. He's like a nice weapons dealer. He negs Janeway a little bit, but in kind of a fun, we're negotiating a price kind of way, not a uh, not a gross pickup artist kind of way. It's good to see the art of negotiation isn't lost on you, Captain. It's one of those scenes where everyone knows what game they're playing and yeah. everyone is willingly participating in the language of sales. It's sales as almost like flirtation, right? Well, I mean, ask any salesperson. <laughs> it is a, a form of seduction, right? It, it absolutely is. <laughs> I mean, that's what Affleck said in Boiler Room, right? You're making a sale on every call. Either you close them or they close you. Wow. It's so binary. Yeah. I'd be relentless. Yeah. Haggling as an art Have form. Have you seen Boiler Room? I've seen Boiler Room once. <laughs> How many movies have you watched more than once? There's like five movies that I've watched 300 times each. Yeah. And then... Everything else gets the one-time every, treatment. Every th- <laughs> it's like The Negotiator, Crimson Tide, Patriot Games, <laughs> Cleared Present Danger, Jurassic Park, and that's it. Mm. Oh, and the Star Trek movies. I've watched those a bunch of times. Poison Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> the weapon that they shot at the Bois is an isokinetic cannon. And that's why it looks so strange. Like, what is this thing coming out of the Voyager? Yeah. It looks like the Romulan weapon from... Uh, Balance of Terror? From Balance of Terror. It kind of does, yeah. I, I wonder if it sucks at range, like the Romulan weapon from Balance of Terror. I mean, we'll never know that because Mr. Coven is really uh, talking up all of its great <laughs> qualities. Yeah, it really slaps. You've made your point, Mr. Coven. I want the cannon. Looks like they're in. They're buying it. Yeah. They're trading isolinear chips for hostages. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Coven doesn't know how worthless these chips are. <laughs> Engineers just play with them in their free time now. <laughs> yeah, because they've gone to a lube-based computer chip system on Voyager. Like, what do they have use for isolinear chips anymore? They for? don't, yeah. That's why they can give away hundreds of them without batting an eye. Yeah. These are like the old USB sticks that you have in your desk drawer. Yeah, eight megabytes? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no one needs these. <laughs> uh, they are also giving him astrometrics data on 12 sectors from their ass lab. And he's like, how about you give me the technology from the ass lab itself? And that's a no-go. 
Yeah. And I couldn't tell if it was game that, that like, she says it, it, it's so tightly integrated in our systems that it would be useless to anyone else. Yeah. Do you believe that? I mean, it's a great line if it's a lie. Yeah. Like, what you want is the turndown in your back pocket. Like, the reason you don't want to do the thing ready to go. Right. This is the I already have plans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chakotay, when I'm negotiating with this guy, give me a call from the other right. room. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Seven is going to participate in integrating some of these systems into the Voyager. Apparently, they can set it up enough to lick some shots without it being permanently installed. But to permanently install it, there's some power system modifications. And because Seven of Nine hasn't bowling pinned anyone in a while, <laughs> she's let out of confinement to work on this project. The way they talk about her sucks when Seven's not around. I'm ready to give her some latitude. She's been behaving herself lately. Yeah, very infantilizing. Yeah. Do you think she's ready to work with others? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking when we met Mr. Coven that he and Seven would work great together because of their strong personalities. Yeah. And the fact that his loaf kind of looks like a Mac Pro, like he's kind of computery you know, in a yeah. way as well. Yeah. Didn't quite work out that way, did it? It's more about let's see if Seven's going to fuck this up <laughs> or if this is going to be an opportunity for her to earn more trust going forward. And um, she earns trust, and it's not fucked up at all. And uh, the rest of the episode is just about a totally uneventful collaboration. Yeah. Sounds great. No. I was shocked that when we're in the ass lab, decrypting the message from Starfleet is still a thing that's being worked on. That is a long-term project. Yeah. Any progress? None. I wonder if it's How hard. How tedious does that have to be? I don't know. Is it hard to decrypt because they didn't get the whole thing? Or is it hard to decrypt because decrypting is really hard? And if so, why didn't Starfleet send it with a key that they had on board? I mean, this is the storyline of like 10 Dan Brown books, right? <laughs> <laughs> Except none of the decryption in these episodes is being whipped up for drama. Yeah, or... right. She uncovers that Jesus was gay <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> And that's something that's unfolded over 38 chapters that are two paragraphs long each. I kind of want to give you the Lee Trevino from Happy Gilmore. Jesus was gay. Take. <laughs> uh, it turns out this guy really kind of hates Seven. He doesn't like the way she works. He doesn't, you know, she's got that kind of like, I know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm going to do my computer thing over here. And he's trying to like mansplain to her that she's wrong and, and elbows her out of the way and catches those hands for his trouble. I mean, the way this is shot really sets this up, right? Because I look at them together. There's like the two shot with Seven and Mr. Coven and I'm like, get out of her fucking nook, dude. Yeah. You're in a workplace. Workplaces aren't for nooks. People are always getting a little too close to Seven in workplaces yeah. and, uh, and often being bowling pinned as a result. I was wishing there was a security guy there to also go down in this context. Yeah. But no, Coven goes down hard, and that's our cold open. 
We're in six bay after the theme, and Mr. Coven has unsurprisingly taken great umbrage with <laughs> having his jaw broken. Yeah. She would have killed me. That woman is dangerous. And uh, the doc, Janeway, and BLT are at the bedside trying to kind of recap what happened in a sort of like asshole Rashomon <laughs> setup. Because, like, it's funny, the more Mr. Coven talks, the less likable he becomes. Yeah. Which is which injects an interesting tension to the rest of the episode because like clearly something bad has happened to him, but also like something else is going to happen bad involving him. And it kind of colors everything about how he's treated. Yeah, it's interesting the way being an asshole in a customer service context can sometimes like remove victim status from you. Especially in a scene like this, because the thought I had was like, it's just as important to be a good patient as it is to be a good customer. It totally changes what sort of service you get. And by service, I mean like medical service or or otherwise. Right. Justice-based service. Yeah. Uh, BLT is kind of on Seven's side here. She was there when it went down. And I like the kind of subtle changes in the way BLT and Seven relate to each other that we're seeing because- BLT is like, I would have fucking clocked that guy if he did that to me. Well, it is a little selfish by BLT because I think she wants to bring back a punching people in the face based workplace yeah. to engineering. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't see anything wrong with what happened. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about here? I suppose if you punch someone in the wrong way, they're going to go over a rail and fall into an open plasma fire. <laughs> that is a quality to engineering that makes it maybe not the best place for punches to faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we haven't seen that plasma fire in in seasons now and I, yeah. I really miss it i do yeah like what are people even roasting their marshmallows on when they go to engineering yeah we we stand a real one <laughs> we stand a green one yeah <laughs> so in the captain's office uh, Seven, who is totally habituated to ringing doorbells now, comes in. I don't like that, by the way. Yeah, no, we're we're against Seven ringing doorbells. That's a stated policy of this podcast. <laughs> way funnier when she urkles into every room. Yeah. But uh, this is a very interesting scene because we are sort of rehashing a thing that Seven has had a problem with integrating into the crew before which is the hands shouldn't be doing the talking. Here we are again. The captain is like, okay, well, nothing I've tried has, has persuaded you that that's the case. So now what? It's such an odd scene because of how Seven is talked to. Like, I've been pipped at work before. <laughs> I know what it's like to receive a talking to that's like, hey, I can tell you're not giving this your best. <laughs> And I don't know what to do about it, but maybe if we collaborate on a solution, maybe mm -hmm. we everyone would be happier in this workplace. You're referring to when uh, Rob pulled you aside on our second tour and was like, hey, you could be bringing the funny a little bit more when you go out on stage. You could be a little more on time to the lobby call, <laughs> by the way. But I didn't like Janeway's tone with seven here it felt condescending to me and what's more is like it felt like we were wandering our way to a course of action here and the scene just kind of ends 
because they're out of ideas. Yeah. And but I thought this was a solicitation of ideas that we were eventually going to hear. Right. Seven so was going to be like, um, well, we'll put a chart on the wall and I'll get a gold star for every day I don't bowling pin yeah. someone. Yeah. Like a six-year-old that has behavior problems. Yeah. And it's hard to get my arms around really what the end goal is here too. Right. Does Janeway really want Seven to be a part of the crew and fully human again and like everyone else in kind of a dark way? Because the ways in which she is not integrating seem very Seven specific in a, I think everyone knows a Seven from the workplace. Yeah. You know, Seven from accounting, you got to go into her office in a kind of way. Otherwise, uh, it's not going to work out. You know, you got to gingerly knock on the door of that office with the back of your knuckle. Like, you don't just barge in the way Seven from Accounting barges into your office. Maybe I just kind of resent the way they're trying to change her. Maybe. In a way that I personally find familiar, because I didn't (laughs) want to be changed either. Let me tell you something, Ben. They never broke me. (laughs) (laughs) Rob could not get you to show up at their lobby call. I I was a stallion riding free. Yeah, it was beautiful. (laughs) It was amazing to get to sound check 45 minutes late every single time. How dare you? <laughs> there is a scene in the six bay where the doctor is talking to seven about this and like the poor impulse control issue. And it kind of struck me that this could be partially the doctor's influence. The doctor does seem to be the one person on the crew that has taken a personal interest in actually helping seven conform to like human norms of interaction like harry but that's kim is because the doc weird science seven yeah after they got her like harry kim has paid some lip service to it but feel it feels like he's kind of not invested in it in the way that the doctor is I mean, harry kim would like to pay more lip service to it yeah to that ass <laughs> something about it reminds me of being in the womb get up harry who are you harry kim Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. Chummy. Chummy. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. The doctor's suggestion is like, maybe you could bust people's chops more like I do. That seems to work for me. Right. That's a very ego-based tack for the advice that he's giving yeah the uh it seems like you have a problem well here's what i did yeah i don't have that problem here's why as they talk and as he scans her she becomes more and more uncomfortable and it's hard to tell at this point whether she's uncomfortable with him or the scanner yeah and as time goes on like this is a fairly uh thorough scan she's laid down on the bio bed the arches close around her and she gets more and more animated with her distress in this scene. Yeah. It really boils over when Rick Berman runs in from off camera and goes, get that arch off of her. (laughs) No, get it off. (laughs) Which is weird. Like a weird kind of fourth (laughs) wall gets broken there. Yeah. She is unable to articulate why she is feeling the way that she is. And she finally just kind of bails out of this exam. It's it feels like a PTSD flashback or like she's been schizumed. But we don't get a, a satisfactory conclusion in this moment. 
Right. The doc has to report to the captain what's happened here. And he's like, yeah, I finally sedated her. Like such was her trauma in that moment. And what he suspects is that uh, there's a, a form of memory suppression at work here. These memories have been up until this point bottled, right. squished. Not integrated into her consciousness. And yeah. so what he is suggesting is like, hey, psychiatry may be the answer to this. And I have been sideloading new apps into my system that will help me do this. And he pitches this as like a, uh, you're really going to value having me around now, which kind of makes me think that a couple of recent away missions in which his mobile emitter got into very hot water have influenced his thinking to like, I need to seal in the captain's mind that I am not an expendable member of the crew. <laughs> it also reminds me a little bit of that episode where BLT's punishment for a violent thought was getting lobotomized, mm -hmm. wherein one character's bad day becomes an opportunity for someone else's enrichment, right? personal enrichment, because like Seven is really going through some shit and the doc is like, this is an opportunity for me to try something new, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> We're really like Seven's care should be at the forefront of the decision making here. Doesn't it doesn't seem like I say it's it's primarily based on her care that he's yeah. motivated to do this. I'll be even more valuable to you than I am now. So he talks about uh, how his therapeutic approach is going to work to Seven, and he says it's going to be a combination of Jungian and Betazoid therapy. Big yikes from me. That is why when we cut to the therapy, they're both naked. <laughs> They're both naked and weirdly closely associated with Nazism <laughs> in a way that is like, like, I don't like that this is even a subject of debate. <laughs> the doc does that thing where he's speaking very, very softly and slowly and encourages Seven to close her eyes <laughs> and describe what she sees. And Seven is like very technical in her description <laughs> in a fun way. Yeah. Given the dimensions of the tricorder, like she's trying to uh, move into an apartment and wants to make sure that the tricorder will fit in one of the rooms. What we're seeing are flashbacks of the scene we saw previously, her getting upset in sickbay. Right. But it kind of crosses over into a different memory in a way that I thought was very interesting. Like the, the six bay memory then sort of becomes this other memory where Coven is schisming her. Yeah. He knocks her out and maybe abducted her on an away mission and stole Borg technology from her birdie. Yeah. He violated me. Yeah. The terminology that seven uses is familiar in a woman being assaulted context. Right. They don't play that up a ton, but it is like a violation of consent kickoff to this storyline. Anyway. You can't help but think of it in that way. You really can't. And I wondered if maybe at this time they counted on people not to think of it in that way, in a weird way. Hmm. Because the way the story unfolds really does make Coven ultimately... Like it, it seems like they're trying to paint him as, as a person that really got fucked over by this accusation. And it's not like Seven is making it from a 
a standpoint of just like fabricating it, right? Yeah. I felt like very complicated about that. And this is where that complication starts. Right. It's a complication that continues throughout the entire episode. I think. And throughout the like seven storyline off into the future, like people no, I wanting. Know. I mean, I'm talking about like Star Trek Picard. Like, oh, okay. People wanting to steal shit from Seven's Brady is yeah. a, it becomes canonical Seven storyline. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is obviously pre-eye trauma depictions of Borg technology theft. Yeah, if you're here for that, you're going to have to wait some years. Where's your cortical node, buddy? Got to be in there somewhere. In the memory, what we see is them stealing technology from Seven's Brady and then assimilating another uh, Intharan who has also been abducted into this lab. In a, a way where I was like, fuck, Coven is playing with some fucking fire if he is making a drone in his lab right now. Yeah. With what we eventually find out about what happened here, this is so detailed. Yeah. That... It was all I could think about for a long time. It's like, what happened to that dude? <laughs> In a way that I think it's sort of a monster of a storyline that you can't control by depicting something like this. Right. It's so scary and so dangerous in its very idea that I think it kind of obscures the rest of the episode in a way that they did not intend. It does because like all of the evidence that they're looking for is so meaningless compared to there should be a drone you could be able to find a drone right yeah if this happened there's a drone like <laughs> there should be a cube on the way you don't have to scan for nanoprobe scan for drone and that would prove or disprove the story right we know that you can be in orbit of planet earth and see something go through a time butthole and then scan the earth and determine that every life sign on the planet's surface is borg you don't have to ask seven you could ask chakotay if mm. he feels anything. Yeah. Anything uh, tickling your brains? Yeah. Isn't Neelix kind of part Borgs now, too? Oh, yeah. It's kind of going around, isn't it's it? really catching. We see the mission that they went on together. This is a passage of time cut where we see Seven on the planet's surface right. with Paris, and they're shooting Makita brand phaser <laughs> rifles, <laughs> which I loved. Makita. It's all the power you need. Crude, but efficient. How's that Matabo? <laughs> I want to try that. Yeah, I really liked what B-Dunks did with his performance here because I think when B-Dunks is by himself with the crew, he's kind of often the comic relief. But when he is around aliens that they don't know, he is like totally buttoned up and professional in this way that I yeah. thought was really, really cool, really I'm, smart. I really like workplace B-Dunks for sure. Yeah. And the Coven version of the story is that the rifle just like discharged accidentally and hit Seven. In the lab because Seven goes into the lab alone right. with Coven. And whether or not Seven's story is true is, is one question. But if it is true, Coven is an incredible actor because... Mm -hmm. When she comes to, he is like oozing this like embarrassed, like, I, I'm so sorry that that happened. Like, mm -hmm. we just had an industrial accident with a visiting member of the public to my lab. I am humiliated. And uh, that really hit me like that, that Coven sold that moment. 
especially because of what we see beforehand, like the detail of the memory being such that you see every little bit taken off of Seven. They pop her dolphin off of her eyebrow. (laughs) They steal stuff out of her vampire hand. Yeah. They really take a lot of shit. There's like a giant jar of green juice they're they're pulling off of her. Yeah. It's intense. So by the time we actually get into post-weapons explosion Coven... It's hard not to feel traumatized by that moment and to see what looks like a lie in his behavior. A lie that is super well sold. Yeah. And that really goes to make you mistrust him. Yeah. So they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And the debate is whether these memories are real. And Tuvok is like, people that recover memories often are recovering false memories. Tuvok is reflexively, do not believe all women. This is a Tuvok is over party. (laughs) Hashtag Tuvok is canceled. Right. But the doc is like, this is fucking real. Like, this is her actual lived experience. Like, this isn't conjecture. This isn't made up. This happened. This is a dramatic middle for Janeway to occupy, right? She's seeing these two sides of the issue argue, and she is the one to ask for physical evidence. Like, look, I get it. These seem very plausible, but like, we need some memory dope on the table, right? (laughs) There's coffee in that physical evidence to back up Seven's claim. And we need a fucking lot of it. I think it's so interesting that during this conversation, they treat Seven in a way where no one's bringing up that she just punched a guy in the face or that she's having behavior problems at work. Like, they treat her as someone who is neither credible nor incredible. They just treat her as like a neutral person with a problem they're trying to solve. Which really pisses the doctor off. The doctor is not happy with the way this meeting goes. Yeah. We're not talking about conjecture. We're talking about science. Let's not get bogged down. And I think that goes to the fact that he is the one person on the crew that has taken an interest in helping Seven integrate herself. Also, Doc, read the room. When you bring this problem to Tuvok, that's how it's going to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the next step is to reach out to Coven and be like, hey, this is going around. Does this sound like a thing that happened? There are like five scenes of Coven taking great umbrage (laughs) with an accusation that's being brought to him. And in Janeway's ready room, he flatly denies doing anything wrong. He denies Janeway's request to check out his laboratory until the moment where the idea of the weapons deal starts to fall apart, he's like, oh, fuck. Like, if I lose this deal, I might lose my job over this. Right. The case is made that his species is heavily reliant in off-world commerce. And uh, if these isolinear chips and star charts don't come through, that's his ass. Yeah. And so he is persuaded, but he's also... Basically saying, like, I'm already fucked because if the authorities on my planet find out that a deal I was on went south for a reason like this, it doesn't even matter if the accusation is true. Yeah. He's like, you can't even joke around on the internet anymore. He's like, this type of shit is killing the arms dealing business (laughs) and it sucks. You know, it used to be so much fun and now... (laughs) It's like you're you're walking on eggshells when you're selling weapons of mass destruction to strange aliens. Next, you're going to tell me I can't hug a Borg hello anymore? <laughs> I'm a nice person. I used to love selling weapons at colleges, and now I don't even book those gigs. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So the next person to talk to Coven is Tuvok. And Tuvok does a good job of uh, making this interrogation scary, despite the fact that he's not totally bought into the premise of the investigation. I think that's because Tuvok's quarters slash office are kind of a scary place to be. Tuvok's quarters remind me a little bit of Data's quarters in yeah. that, like, it I think seems the, like it's a lot of computers relative to the amount of space that there is to just relax. The show wants you to feel that way, I think. I, I agree. Another scene that is designed to sort of uh, highlight how desperate Coven feels because he's like, I don't even have any friends on my planet. You guys have the magistrate coming up here. He's not going to help me. Nobody's going to help me. You have an entire starship helping Seven. This, in retrospect, was, I think, one of the most important scenes of the entire episode because it's the moment where Coven recognizes that Tuvok might be his only ally or resource in his defense here. Yeah. And by trusting him to give him a fair shake, it makes it seem as though, okay, he might, like, if you trust Tuvok in the way that he's demonstrating here, knowing how good Tuvok is at his job and knowing what Tuvok is promising. An innocent person says what he says here about like, well, you're my only chance then. Like, if you're as good as you say you are and as fair as you say you're going to be, then I should be all right. But he also does the appeal that so many abusers have done to try and make accusations go away, which is like, think of what this is doing to my reputation. Right. Yeah, and that's like... But I wonder if 20 years ago that hits in the same way as it does now. Right. Was the audience like, yeah, it is really messed up that his reputation is getting... You know what? I bet it fucking hit just as hard to women 20 years ago. Like the way the episode winds up unfolding makes it a little bit frustrating to me that it has an insightful line like that Mm -hmm. because... The ending is so ambiguous that it's hard to like feel like totally negative about it, but... The fact that it's brought up here and treated as like a fair point of argument and then right. implied later maybe his reputation was really the thing at greatest risk yeah, is, is kind of sad. Yeah. I also wish that when they bring the magistrate on later, all he's talking about is reputation type stuff <laughs> to really like solidify that cultural foundation that's only been just kind of referred to right. a little bit. I've got to get that platinum, get that little enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. 
Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that platinum. Or not if you've just drunk gold. In Six Bay, the EMH asks Seven, how do you feel? And her eyebrow shoots up. Just a fun throwback moment for Star Trek. The question is irrelevant. Really interesting scene here because Seven appears to have gotten over it. And the doc is like encouraging her not to be over it. Right. Kind of winding her up. This is actually kind of a familiar thing for me in therapy because I do often rationalize things that, you know, put me at a disadvantage in other people's behavior as like, oh, well, they needed to. You, mm-hmm. You're probably familiar with this. You've been involved in like business negotiations with me. <laughs> I sure. often I often take the other person's side against myself. Yeah, that can be frustrating. <laughs> and so sometimes my therapist will be like, "Hey, you know, like that's actually wrong that they did that to you, mm-hmm. or whatever." But think of how that would affect Adam. Is something I'd like you to <laughs> consider more in therapy. <laughs> but. um the thing that this elides is that the first thing Seven did was punch this guy in the fucking face. 
Jeez. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think she was sufficiently angry, at least a, as an initial condition. It's so interesting how that order of operations is sort of forgotten. Like we do flash back to before the punch to get kind of a backstory there. Yeah. And then the punch is like not a significant part of the uh, it's it's like the inciting incident that then everybody forgets about for the rest of the episode right do you think this not to cut to the end but do you think this episode would have been more interesting if mr coven had been killed by being punched to death and this was a murder case hmm. attempting to be solved retroactively <laughs> It's an interesting premise because then it's like a Star trek story about was this self-defense or not. You'd have to make the assault part real. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, on the question of whether or not it was real, they go down to his lab finally to do this investigation. And among the people there doing the crime scene dust off is the doc and... I was very ill at ease with the doctor's mobile emitter being in Coven's lab after the implication that Coven is willing to do some pretty fucked up shit to steal Borg's technology. Great call. Yeah. But it doesn't come up. And I guess it's because there are like members of the Antharan authorities there, including the magistrate. Yeah. All of the gear is there from the away mission before the Makita brand energy weapon the tool that flipped off the eye dolphin, mm-hmm. the little ray gun that that pulled out nanoprobes and, and so forth. I liked all of these little gadgets. Mm-hmm. And uh, they scanned the workbench and they're like, yeah, dude, there's fucking Borg nanoprobes all over this workbench and they're regenerating. And The doc holds a black light over the workbench and it is just like glowing. <laughs> with. with, with <laughs> <laughs> This is like a uh, a mid-market hotel room bedspread in here, in a Borg part of space. I'll just collect a sample. Man, you really sprayed it everywhere, didn't you? <laughs> Jesus, Coven. It's even on the remote? <laughs> the dispersal pattern is consistent. So uh, this does not look good for Mr. Coven. And he becomes very animated in this scene. Like, the walls are closing in pretty yeah. fast. And uh, is this where he escapes? He like beams himself out? It's funny how long it takes for him to get to this point. Like it looks like he's dead to rights pretty early on in the scene, but he allows everything to be examined. (laughs) Like (laughs) what he wanted was a preponderance of evidence before beaming away. Yeah. Everything but the smoke coming out of the gun. Yeah. So when he beams away, he goes up to his ship and they're like, oh, this ship is a piece of shit. It's not even going to warp. But then he does something to like knock their sensors out and he's just gone. I love this part of the episode starting here where it's like, you need to make sure you bring a gun to a gunfight with a weapons dealer. You really do. He's got all the tricks. Even though his ship is little, it is fucking packing. Yeah, yeah. So what they need to do is a hard target search. They need to go through every fox house, outhouse, hen house in a 15 mile radius and find Coven. And while they're en route, we go down to the crime lab where the captain and Tuvok are starting to get a little bit unsure of the veracity of this evidence. I'm getting a bad feeling about this, Tuvok. Right, because the Borg ropes that they found <laughs> all over the all over the workbench, they're indistinguishable from the kind that just come out 
when you're shooting Borg ropes right. or when they're taken from you by force. Right. The question at this point is like, so maybe he didn't get her in a bed, but if he shot her to get the ropes, like... How can anybody satisfy themselves that that's an accident if he stands to profit from the ropes? I'm sure that's something a lot of people thought of, Ben, but all I could think of is from which closed door is an assimilated Borg's <laughs> going to leap? Because <laughs> I was still thinking about that guy. Yeah, where is that guy? We still <laughs> scan for the guy. Yeah, yeah, no one scans for Borg's. They just scan for ropes. So frustrating. Yeah. Tuvok in this scene has a great proposition, a proposition that was more exciting to me in my imagination than was the reality. He's like, <laughs> perhaps we should recreate the incident with the exploded Makita weapon and Seven's arm. And I was like, they're going to shoot Seven's arm in a lab? This is going to be amazing. <laughs> that is not what happens. They go to Six Bay and they use a hypo spray to approximate what happened. Just to get some nanoprobes out. And uh, I love this microscope prop it's fun. that they pull out uh, and look into. And it's one of those, we're all looking into the hole at the thing and like making dark faces at each other because we know what the implications are, but nobody says out loud what they're seeing until the doc looks at it. And the doc is like, fuck, I've been riding so hard for this dude violated seven. And what we're seeing is that these nanoprobes self-regenerate. And it's the same pattern that we saw with the ones on the bench. Got a question for you about something visually that happens in this scene. Is Seven's eye dolphin implant digitally added? Oh. It looked really strange to me in this scene because it hung down in her eye line almost. Weird. It looked like it was larger than it usually is or something. Something just looked off. That doesn't sound like a thing that they really would have had the technology to do at the time. But... I thought the same thing, but it's it's so much in her eyeball that it just seemed strange to me. I couldn't rule it out. And because of how unmoving she was during the scene, its scale just looked different. I yeah. don't know. It does look weird. Maybe they just like glued it on a little too low or something. It'd be funny if she had her eye dolphin taken on the away mission and like a person switching to their backup set of eyeglasses. Right. Like her backup eye dolphin is just a little larger. A little awkward. And, yeah. Uh, kind of out of fashion. It's the bifocal eye dolphin that uh, she rarely wears. I have a new theory that just popped into my head. Okay. One of the things that happens in the memory scene is that they pop it off and there's some stuff underneath it that it connects to. And I wonder if they made a slightly bigger one for that scene so that it would cover the underneath connectivity. And then they wanted to ha her to wear it for the whole episode so that it kind of sold the illusion that this could happen. It's eye dolphin continuity they were going for. And I think you're exactly right. I think that's what happened here. It's gotta be. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. This magistrate is with them on the manhunt for Coven, and uh, they finally catch up with his ship. And this is weird timing because Coven is like desperately fleeing, and they're like, no, 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 don't worry. <laughs> we feel like we were maybe wrong about that whole thing. We just want to talk about it. <laughs> we only have the lights and sirens going, and the car in front of us is acting all weird. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And then uh, they, you know, they tap the nightstick on his window and go like, you know, like you're driving really erratically there. We get this shot a lot. The FaceTime with the pilot of a ship and that pilot is acting weird or scared or threatening or whatever. But I really want to say that Michael Horton's performance in this episode and especially in these scenes is great. It's got to be hard to do, right? You're just like stuck in an office chair in front of a yeah, fake your starship face background. is in a box and you've got to present as if you're scared for your life. And you're actually talking to someone. Yeah. The panic of like he is being told over this FaceTime, we are withdrawing the accusation. This potentially clears your name. You really believe that he is in such a panic state that he's going to turn around his ship and start shooting at them. There's that energy of like... <laughs> We've seen this a lot before, like the suspects in juvenile hall and they're being asked a bunch of questions and then their parents are brought in. Like the energy of seeing the magistrate on the bridge. He's like, oh, fuck, the magistrate's here. Oh, I'm so fucked right now. You told him? No. Yeah. I was going to take the note home and tear it up. Right. Like that kind of vibe. Yeah. Feels familiar here. This does not go great. The combat scene turns into his ship spontaneously exploding they haven't even fired back no it's just everything is his ship is so overpowered this is a great kate mulgrew moment here too because once the realization washes over her she does that great actor thing of hanging some limpid pools on her lower eyelids like she really looks affected by this moment and then she kind of switches into a disappointment or an anger with seven but also a recognition like how much of this is her fault really how much of this is our fault how slash much of it my is fault? the doctor's fault for like yeah encouraging her along this line of thinking it's kind of a useful interstitial here because you can't have a conclusion in this moment you can only have the trauma of what's happened the doctor has to confront the thought that maybe his psychiatry subroutine makes him a part of an industry of death <laughs> And so the next scene, he's reading this book with a volcano on the cover. He's in the corridors handing out pamphlets. <laughs> he's like, maybe I should have done like more of a personality test. on seven. Right. We start to see really strange devices in Six Bay from here on out with yeah. like two cylinders that the patients hold on to mm-hmm. and a bunch <laughs> of gauges. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is like. People start going to Six Bay for brunch instead of Neelix's mess hall. Yeah. Really great food there all of a sudden. Surprisingly solid brunch. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then, like, people just start, like, having to, like, reread definitions of words all the time. (laughs) And, like, everybody's in, like, blue suits and, like, there's all this, like, weird naval shit. (laughs) Oh, man. The doc is bumming out big time. The doc is talking with Seven in this scene in Six Bay, and they're both feeling bad about this. They should feel bad about this. I am preoccupied by Coven's death. Join the club. He diagnoses her with a little something called remorse. I mean, I want to walk that back a little bit because Seven should feel bad, but not because of any ill intent. Like, she did feel a kind of way about things, and she elevated those feelings to authority figures that she thought could help. I think that, like, notwithstanding the absent Borg drone and that piece of evidence never having been surfaced, I don't feel like this episode ever entirely makes the case that her memory was fake also. I mean, the Twilight Zone ending to this episode that I craved was 
we get the scene of Seven and the Doctor having their feelings. We get the scene of the Doctor and Janeway having their feelings. And then dissolve to the planet surface and a closet where an assimilated Borgs has been standing yeah, the yeah. entire time. Or like the lab assistant like straightening up after dark. And, yeah. And just two tubules go into her neck. Yeah. Like make it even more muddy at the end is what I was going for. Instead... What this episode deals with at the end is entirely the doctor's feelings of remorse and wanting to change in himself what led to what he identifies as a mistake, which is the part of his program that made him have the ambition to be more than what he was when he was turned on. And so he's pitching to the captain, like, zero me out, make me back into EMH 1.0 and the Captain is like, no, you made a mistake. And the way you like don't make mistakes in the future is by learning from them, not by like erasing the past. Janeway is like, for a number of years, Starfleet in situations like these has distributed a uh, a VHS tape (laughs) with an advisor for people having feelings like yours. And she goes to the the TV VCR combo and she pops it in and uh, the screen blinks on and it's like... Hello. (laughs) I understand you might be having some feelings of regret. You, if you are like I once was, feel greatly dishonored (laughs) and would like to escape that feeling. I am here to tell you not to pursue a lobotomy. (laughs) There is no going back from a procedure like this. Here to join me to discuss this is a friend and colleague who I have rebuilt my connection with over the years. Dr. Bashir, welcome to the program. I actually did not agree (laughs) with any of your line of thinking here. I actually am pro-lobotomy. Oh my God, what is in your coffee cup? It smells... (laughs) 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 January's like I don't know why they're telling us to show this tape to people (laughs) it looks like an old mad TV sketch (laughs) it just kind of ends (laughs) anyway uh, request denied (laughs) that's the button on the episode Yeah. did you like this episode Adam? you know I'm really easy to get along with most of the time I mean, it was more fun to talk about than maybe it was, and also extremely heavy in parts that maybe were projections and maybe were intentional. Kind of an interesting soup yeah. of an episode in a way that I enjoy. I mean, it's hard to say you enjoy an episode like this that's like depicting an assault and a trauma and the death of a character that may have been unfair yeah, and the fallout from that. But this may be a case of an episode that asks more interesting questions than it's able to answer. And I kind of like the ambition of it to go in that direction, but like whether or not it's successful as a story, should it be tied to whether or not it's able to conclude itself effectively i mean i don't need things tied into a bow to like an episode so i'm i'm kind of satisfied with being unsatisfied in its conclusions i think that if you had the first two acts of this script in a modern star trek television show 
the third act would be super duper different. Right. I think I'm also used to on TV shows there being a more effective criminal detective work and lawyering happening here. There doesn't seem to be a good quality to those aspects throughout this episode. Yeah. The amount of ambiguity, I think, does save this episode from being hard bad because that feeling at the end is really effective that like yeah those feelings of like i'm still not entirely convinced that coven was totally innocent here he did seem like he did something bad and the misgivings you have about how to process that feel really similar to what the emh and seven are feeling and i think that in that way it's very effective but the idea that it was also possibly just like a totally fabricated accusation is a very uncomfortable part of this. And I, yeah, it's very hard to like imagine how it hit in the late 90s, how different that must have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that always uh, turns my mood around, Adam, are priority one messages. Do you want to go into the inbox and see about those? Our P1s would have hit in the late 90s just as hard as today. True. But they would have been so much cheaper because of inflation. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Jom, Maddie, Adam, and our Mike. Mm. It is to Lewis and Felicia. The message goes like this. Hey, Ben and Adam, longtime viewers, first time callers. Oh, you love the show. Can't Can believe you, you got through. Can you please contact Kevin Uxbridge and have him wish our dear friends Lewis and Felicia congratulations on their nuptials? Lewis is a longtime friend of the show, and Felicia probably wouldn't be caught dead listening to it. <laughs> to Lou and Felicia, much love from your friends Mike, Matt, Jim, and Adam. Wow. Uh, congratulations, you two. And uh, hey, Felicia, I'm really sorry that Lou made you turn this on uh, so that you could just hear this part. <laughs> we heard you wouldn't be caught dead listening to this. And uh... Does anyone want any ice cream cake? <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Kevin Uxbridge. Felicia doesn't know what that means. No one told me how old you were turning, so I just lit all candles everywhere. <laughs> uh, wow. Our next priority one message is from Nicholas, and it is to Paul. And it goes like this. Flashback. Episode 425 flashback drop. Needs extended version, by the way, is the note. Something is happening to me, and I don't know what it is. Each time I see... A bird. A bird? Yes, a large black bird flying toward me, shrieking. Will I keep having these flashbacks? A series of disjointed images in my mind. I was frightened. I felt fear. I must rejoin the collective. Hypnagogic regression. Flashbacks. Flashbacks? Borg. You were Borg. Flashback to the day we were chopping wood and you told me DS9 is the shit and I needed to get into Greatest Gen. Some of the best advice I have ever received. Mm. Ben and Adam remind me of you. You are one of the kindest people I know. I'm glad that our wives and kids are friends. 
Happy 40th, man. Wow. Hey, happy 40th, Paul. Uh, Usually when someone is compared to us, it's an insult. It's not a nice But I'm using context clues here to surmise that this is a compliment. Yeah. Thanks also for putting Nicholas onto the show. I love the friend that puts a friend onto the greatest generation. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. Thanks for doing that. If you'd like to get a Priority One message, it's really easy to do. You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, and you set it up. It's 100 bucks for a personal message, 200 for a commercial message, and it helps us cover the cost of making this here program. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I did. I mean, this is not a person that really has the Shimoda qualities, but it's something I really thought about in this scene. So Mr. Coven's ship explodes. We're cutting around the bridge to all the reacts. Mm-hmm. The magistrate's there. Janeway's there. I couldn't help but think, uh, we still doing this weapons deal now? <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to honor the magistrate with my Shimoda by saying, good restraint not asking that question at that moment because <laughs> you know because you know coven's accounts are have got to go somewhere right there's still business that needs to be done it's unclear at the end of this episode of voyager was given the weapons that they traded for yeah did they ever get uninstalled i would like to know all of these things yeah and like it's funny how much screen time the magistrate gets without really doing very much. I wonder if there's a cut of this episode where there's more magistrate uh-huh. and there's uh-huh. that awkward moment of, so, so if you could just drop me back off at the planet, I guess that'd be cool. How many uh, isolinear chips did you guys agree on? Yeah. <laughs> January's like 85. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to make for that reason, kind of an imaginary reason I'm making the magistrate my drunk Shimoda. What about you, Ben? I think I'm going to give it to the doc just for being the person that is going the hardest for his position throughout this episode. And when his position winds up backfiring on him, selecting ceasing to exist as his solution to that problem. <laughs> you know, the silliness of the extremes of his reactions was, uh, Probably the lightest part of a pretty heavy episode for me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he was my drunk Shimoda this time. Good Shimoda. Thanks, man. I uh, I worked really hard on that. Well, Adam, uh, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game, and I will tell you about season four, episode 18, The Killing Game, part one. Herogen, capture and board Voyager and use the holodecks to hunt the crew in various scenarios. Damn. The Herogen are back. They're back, baby. I love it. What are we looking at uh, game board wise? We just met Colin Anderson, by the way. I know. That was really cool. He did a uh, VIP experience for the Streaming Spectacular. We actually got to put a face to the name. Colin Anderson, the uh, the programmer who devised the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. I'm looking at our runabout right now, Ben, and it's on square 37. If I were to roll a six, that would take us straight into the Brone Zone. Whoa! I take it you're in charge here. Team Leader Brone, 4th Warrior Defense Contingent. I gotta get a pump. That's it, get it. 
our brand new square. <laughs> uh, nothing Glimpse else. that, motherfucker. Nothing else outside of that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Will we end up in the brone zone? We're about to find out. Roll that bone, Adam. Ben, I rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. <laughs> Which is what I do. That is what you do. Which means we are on square 38 for the next episode. It's a regular old episode by us. Looking forward to it. I think that this uh, Killing Game episode is uh, what I was thinking of for Year of Hell. Oh, interesting. Because I remember this like whole is this elaborate... Is a two-parter? Yeah, it is. And I remember this whole elaborate thing to do with the holodecks. So uh, looking forward to it. I kind of like the idea of the Herogen being soothed by the holodeck. Why don't we just give the Herogen holodeck technology so they stop hunting people? Yeah, then they can hunt holograms and not bother everyone yeah, all the time. That sounds good. That does sound good. That's a great solution, Adam. You're really thinking. I can solve other people's problems better than my own. Well, That's you, my curse. Well, you can solve our problems by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Becoming a member. Yeah. All our problems are financial. It's true. They'll all go away for just $5 a month. We really appreciate the folks that help support the production of this program. They keep us in business. They help us work with great folks like Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program. And Bill Tilly, the card daddy who runs our social media at Greatest Trek. It's not just support. Call it selfish if you want. There are bonus episodes coming out from us every month that you get for supporting the show. Yeah. And they're good. It's They're not just like freebie cast off, low effort bonus episodes. We're giving you the good stuff in the bonus feed. Sometimes the bonus episode is the thing that gets the most effort of anything we do in a given month. It's true. We Personal or professional. <laughs> That's why our marriages are falling apart. All right? Are you happy? <laughs> it's the one thing that works. Our thanks to everyone that follows those social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter and leaves a nice review on Apple Podcasts. we got to thank Nick Dittmore for making the artwork for this show and Adam Ragusea for making the original theme music. Hey, go check out Adam Ragusea's podcast and YouTube channel. They're great. Yeah. You're really going to like them. We were hearing from VIPs today yeah. about how much they like the Adam Ragusea show. It's great. It's so good. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that you're going to be like, is this the year of hell? Is that what this is? Again? <laughs> How many years of hell are there? Years and years of hell. I have been asking myself that question <laughs> over the last couple years. Yeah. You never know which year it's going to be. Yeah. Until it is. Make it so. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.